I don't know how many workers total, and maybe, uh, Amy, you can confirm it after this service, but I know between, uh, between pre-camp, which is preschool camp for our, uh, our adult workers that have children out at camp, um, and then all the workers that are out at camp, and then all the who did the pre-setup stuff, and then those who did the breakdown stuff, there was a truckload of people, well over 100 volunteers. And so I, if you don't mind, give them another hand because they are amazing. They're in this room. Some barely got a rest because yesterday, and just yesterday, and they're back teaching our preschool children even today. And I thought today would be a most appropriate today to talk about some of your investment out there. I, I know it maybe seems like a, a bit of a hard shift to talk about children and to talk about your investments, but let's talk about your investment today. Uh, about a $246,000 investment that you'll make in your life, uh, and that is on each child in your home. Uh, the federal government has said that you will take $246,000 to educate, feed, water, put out to pasture, clothe, all those kind of things that your children need in life to educate, to buy their stuff and all those little extracurricular stuff along the way. You'll spend $246,000 per child. And that's just to get them to 18. If you have to help them through college, just start to keep the meter going at that point. That's amazing when you think about that level of investment. So the question today is, how's your portfolio looking? How's your investment? How are they coming out? How, how are they performing for you in your, in your parenting? Are you seeing losses or gains? That's a, that's a question to be asking yourself because hopefully you are seeing gains. And there's certain things that you need to do in this investment period to keep that metaphor going. What you need to do in this investment period of your life to make sure you get the greatest gain when they turn 18 or so so that they can, again, reproduce themselves into a greater gain for future generations. Take your Bibles. We find the book of Mark today. We want to look at a story that Jesus lives out and how he shows us certain things. Every child needs, every investment of yours needs at least one thing. I can bank on this, and that is unconditional love. Your child, my child, needs unconditional love. Not love if, not love but, or not love when, but love, period. I don't care what it is. I don't care what goes on. You're not going to have to earn my love. My love will be there. Now, how do you communicate that love to your children? How do you make sure your children know that you love them? And, of course, one of the obvious things of that $246,000 is you buy things for them. You buy those clothes. You buy that iPad or iTouch, i-something out there for them. You, you buy those things out there for them, and you think, that's how I show my love for them. It's interesting. An online study done by preteenagertoday.com said that 90% of the kids ages 9 to 14 say that, more, that, that family is more important than anything that money could buy. Now, that's teenagers. That's preteens answering that survey, saying, hey, listen, I appreciate all the stuff my mother and father buy for me, but what I really want, what really communicates love to me is my family. Not the stuff, not the things, not the gadgets or gadgets that we get along the way. 
You might say, well, I brought them to church. That's how I show them that I love them. Now, these are all just kind of random ways that you can show your children that you love them unconditionally. And absolutely providing for their physical needs is is an expression of love. Bringing them to a faith family that will actually make it a high, high, high priority that we're going to make space and that we're going to make make sure there's resources, that we're going to make sure there's staffing. There's going to be ample opportunities for your child's faith to, to be formed and fashioned and shaped according to biblical principles. You want to find a church like that. I hope you find Grace Point Church being one of those elements of the way you express love. But that alone is not enough. We don't have enough time with your children. If we did day camp every week for 52 weeks, then maybe. But I don't see any volunteers for that one, uh, that kind of level of day camp. But Because really the reality is we have very little time with your children. We can, we can help and we can compliment and we can come along beside you and we can counsel and advise and, and, and support you. But really, you get more time with your children. Listen to these statistics. Really, in your, when you average it out, the school gets about 18% of your child's time in their growing up years. 18%. You at the home get 81% of the time. The church, if you're a church attending, regularly attending family, we only get about 1% of your child's life. Now, if you, now think about it as a parent. If you think for a skinny minute that you can bring your child, drop them off into our great programs, funded, staffed, resourced programs, and then we're going to give your child everything they need to know for spiritual formations, values, and virtues in life. And you're going to leave it up to the church to do all of that? You can forget it. We will fail miserably if it's not reinforced at home. You get 81% of the time. So church can be a major contributor, but it is absolutely not enough. We just spent, again, this week, and we, we subsidized this camp immensely to make sure children can go. We scholarship kids that can't go so that we can get everybody there that wants to be there So the, the, until it fills up, obviously. But the point is, is that we can compliment, but we cannot replace you. In fact, when Lori and I moved to Africa uh, in 97, we really realized the value of our church back home. We really realized how much we had made the church our crutch we took our ch- kids to church. We were in a traditional church. We took the ch- kids to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and any other program that there was going on. And we realized when we got to Africa and all of a sudden we looked around and there were mud hut churches and people speaking different languages and very few of them. And our children knew more in ch- uh, than, than the leaders of the churches. We realized we could not depend on the church anymore. We didn't have James Dobson to tell us how to raise our kids. And we didn't have Ventures in Odyssey for our children to listen to at night before they went to sleep. We didn't have a lot of those nice additional tools that we have in America. And we realized that it was up to us. It was up to us. And we ended up having to do home church uh, along the side of the work that we were doing. But when it comes down to it, I want to ask this question again. If children need, if you and I need, We'll start with our children today. We'll focus on them today. If our children need unconditional love, how do we give that to them? How do we show that to them? Well, let me take you again to to, to Mark chapter 10. And 
a, probably a familiar story, at least in, 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 in some, some part. But Jesus is busy in his ministry. In chapter 10, verse 1, you'll read how Jesus is teaching as he commonly does. And the crowds are coming around him as they commonly were. And here it was going on. I mean, his ministry was growing. And they were moving from place to place to place. And Jesus was on the move at one point. And as he's on the move and he's in this place and he's teaching, all of a sudden these parents start bringing the children to Jesus. They wanted Jesus to hold the children, to love the children, to express value to the children and all that kind of stuff. And what do the disciples do? I mean, these are the the ones that would lead the cause, that would champion the vision for Christ whenever he ascends back into the heavens. And all of this was going to happen. And who's leading it? The, The disciples are there. And what do they do? They end up running a block. They end up stepping in front of the children. They end up pushing the children back instead of calling the children to him. And I think we learn a lot from Jesus' response in these short verse interaction here that can help us maybe understand how we can love our children the way Jesus loved the little children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. So have your Bibles, follow along. Here we go, verse 13 of Mark chapter 10. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. That's the running the block there. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For such belongs to the kingdom of God. And truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them and laying his hands on them. Beautiful passage of scripture. But what can I as a parent, what can you as a parent, a grandparent, a, knee, a, a, a excuse me, an aunt or an uncle, what can you learn about children? Even as a volunteer in our preschool and children's ministry, what can you learn and how to love unconditionally children? I think there's at least four ways, modes of communicating to your children here in this passage. And I want you to just write them down real quickly and just let it become a part of you. One is the priority of time. We've got to make time for children. I, don't, I know we're busy. Is there anybody in this room that is absolutely bored with life because you don't have anything to do? Raise your hand. Come live in our, my world and I will give you some things to do. Come live in anybody's world. There's not a person who would admit that they're bored with life. I don't care if you make a living or you stay home or you teach or you work part-time or you're, you're st- whatever. We have things that are constantly beckoning us. But there's one thing that I have learned. I haven't mastered, but I've learned it. And that is that that is one element that is level playing field for everyone. And that is the amount of time that we have. You may be smarter than me, better looking than me, younger, older, taller, shorter, fatter, whatever. You may have a whole lot more to offer this world than I have to offer this world. But there is one thing that I have to offer my children that you have to offer your children. And it is equal no matter what. And that is time. Now I know that our demands and our jobs and I know that our expectations and I know that this and I, I know all of those things play in. And you have your story and I have my story. But at the end of the day, There's still the same amount of time for me as there is for you. And for husbands and wives, there's the same amount of time for one another. 
So what are we going to do with that time? How are we going to spend that time? Well, what we do many times is we spend it on the squeaky wheel. We spend it on the areas of our life. Sometimes I feel like my life is the email box. And my to-do list every day is the email box. And how can I respond to get that email box back down to, to the beginning of no emails? Sometimes that's how you live your life. You've got these squeaking wheels. You've got these things. But what happens like a bank account is your children. If, again, we're talking about investments. When you give your children time, you deposit value into their life. And when you don't give them time, you make withdrawals from their life. And the problem is if we don't spend significant amount of time giving deposits as much as we take withdrawals, then what happens is we get an insufficient fund notice from our children. It may come in the way they respond. It may come in the way they talk. It may come in the way they feel. It may, may come in the, their grades at school. It may come in any number of ways. And you know what? It may not even come because we may squelch it when it does start to express itself. It may not even come until they're a teenager or until they move out of the house. But whenever there's insufficient funds of time and quality time given to them, then we're in trouble. Our children are in trouble. One person wrote an antithesis to Psalm 23. And I think many of us would know Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and so on and so forth. But here, listen to this. This is what I think would describe today. The clock is my dictator. I shall not rest. It makes me lie down only when exhausted. It leads me to deep depression. It hounds my soul. It leads me in circles of frenzy for activity's sake. Even though I run frantically from task to task, I will never get it all done. For my ideal is with me. Deadlines and my need for approval, they drive me. They demand performance from me. Beyond the limits of my schedule, they anoint my head with migraines. My, my in-basket overflows. Surely fatigue and time pressure shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the bonds of frustration forever. Anybody identify with that, Psalm 23? I think what we have to realize is are we driven people or are we driving people? If we're driven, it's because everything in our life is pushing us. It's the engine of our life. Or if I am driving, I'm at the wheel. I'm controlling the accelerator. I'm controlling the gas pedal. I'm controlling the brake. I'm controlling the gears. Are you driving or are you being driven? And sometimes it is a fine line between the two. Verse 13 and 14, we see some disciples that I think were driven by the schedule, by the demands, by all the adults that were around, that was significant enough. But now we come to verse 13, and we see these little snotty-nosed brat, pimple-faced kids coming around, and what do they do? He was bringing the children to them that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. I don't know what they said, but Jesus overheard it. Jesus overheard what was being said, what was being done, and it was not received well at all. Verse 14, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant to them. 
he was irate with them because they were running a block on something that maybe they didn't value because there were so many other people out there that needed him, so many other demands that needed him. The next scheduled event needed him because they didn't want to get behind schedule. And all of a sudden the schedule and the demands and the other people and all of a sudden start crowding out children. Does that sound 21st century to you? What happened in the first century? And it's no different than the 21st century. And here it is, crowding out, pushing back. But the very one who took time for the lilies of the field, who took time to know the hairs on your head, took time for children, took time to be with, got rid of the gatekeepers. And it's not just quality time. I hear people say that. I give my kids quality time. I don't have a lot of time, but I give them quality time. Hogwash. It is quality and it is quantity. It is alone time, one-on-one, face-to-face, heart-to-heart. But it is also corporate family time, relating with one another, playing games, whatever. How do children spell love? It's pretty simple. You could probably figure this out. T-I- E. Give them time and you don't even have to do anything very creative. You can lie in the floor. In fact, yesterday afternoon after a busy week, obviously with day camp and lots going on in our family and fatigue all throughout our house, Lori and I said, you know what, we still need to have some family time. So what we did is we put in a old home video, which are hilarious to watch. You know, so you put an old home video in and we watched an hour's worth of our children when Joshua was three years old and the parties and the playing. And we used to play this game in the floor. It was called funny. Now, I called it funny when they were, whenever the kids were even younger than that. And basically, it's just wrestling. It's just getting in the floor and wrestling with the kids. But I would trip them. I would throw them. I would do all this kind of stuff. And they loved it. Now, I would dare go against my 16-year-old boy now and, and all of that in black belt taekwondo, but uh, we don't play funny anymore in the McDaniel house, but we do something else. We try to find time. You've got to make time for one another. Are you driven or do you drive? David Livingston is a man that I've studied a lot. I've admired him a lot. He's been a godly example. We used to live in the town of Livingston, Zambia. It was named after him. He was a missionary. He was an explorer. He was a doctor. But you know, one of the regrets when I've read a number of his journals, the number one regret he had in his life is he didn't spend enough time with his children. And it showed because when you go on and you study the lineage of David Livingston, his children did not walk with the Lord and did not serve the Lord. I don't care if you're a missionary. I don't care if you're a doctor. I don't care if you're an explorer. I don't care if you discover the, the cure for AIDS or cancer or anything else. If you lose your children, you lose your legacy. Think about it. Time is one of the ways that we say I love you. Meaningful touch is another way that we say I love you. Notice this in verse 13. Verse 13, it it said that they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. That was what they wanted. That was the goal, their ambition. But when you go down to verse 16, of course, we know the block that was run. But when verse 16 happens, it says, and he took them in his arms took them in his arms. He blessed them. It was something that Jesus found as a value, and the children and the parents knew it was value, that there was a nurturing element that needed to happen in every child's life. 
Now, again, I think we many times look at the mother as the nurturer and the father as the lawgiver, but actually studies have been found uh, that there is nurturing even in playing funny, if you will, with your kids in the floor from the father. That the children actually perceive that as a nurturing element. So you're nurturing your children. You're loving your children when you give meaningful touches to them. The University of Miami School of Touch Research Institute, imagine that, began giving premature babies 45-minute massages each day. Within 10 days, the massaged babies showed 47% greater weight gain than children who were not regularly touched. In the second study, the actual bone growth of the young children that had been deprived of uh, prenatal touching was half the bone growth of children had had received physical touch. What is he saying there? What's the study saying? Touch, love, hold, embrace your children. One-third of our five million touch receptacles are in our hands. It's amazing when we touch and we appropriately give meaningful touches to our children that they actually physically respond. They psychologically respond. I have to believe they will also spiritually respond as we love and we touch, and we caress our children. One of the disturbing trends that I see in my unscientific work as a pastor and just talking with people is the number of inappropriate touches that I hear of people growing up in life having experienced from those who they trusted. Or, sad to say, the other extreme. They come from a non-touch family. And I'll say that both of those are dead dog wrong. There needs to be appropriate, meaningful touches. Jesus took them. Notice this. He took them in his arms. He didn't just merely bless you, my child. Bless you, my child. No. He took them in his arms and he embraced them. Do this with your preschoolers, your Grade schoolers may think you're a little freaky at this point, but your, your teenagers, I promise you will, if you don't build this into the system of life. But hold your preschoolers. Talk to them. Love them. And I bet you can get by with it with your grade school kids as well. High five. Hug. Love on your kids as much as you can. Number three. How do you do it? How do you love your children? By spoken word. By your words that come out of your mouth actually contribute value and love to your children. Verse 16 says this, and he took them in his arms and blessed them. Bless them. Now I love it that he kind of leaves it ambiguous out there. The idea of blessing is the idea of lifting up and having value, giving value to someone. When I bless you, when you bless one another, we are actually adding value to someone. Do you realize with your mouth, you have the power to give life to your spouse, to your children, or you can literally take life from them. 
The power of your tongue. The way we use our words. Proverbs 18.21 Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Benjamin West, a British artist, first became aware of his artistic skills one day when his mother went out and leaving him with his younger sibling and little sister Sally and little sister Sally and and Benjamin West decided they were going to paint a portrait. Benjamin was going to paint a portrait of Sally. So he gets mom's paints out and he just begins to paint this mural of this of this of his sister on the wall of the house, not on a canvas. Benjamin West begins to paint this this picture and as, as only a child could and mom walks in and sees what this child has done. Now I'll tell you right now, confessional 101, this would not have been my response, all right? I, and if you know me and you know my kids, they would have confirmed this would have not been my response. But the mother, with a big smile after she gasped in some air, looks at the painting, looks at Benjamin, and says, Wow, it's Sally. It's Sally. You have painted a picture of Sally. This is what Benjamin West said in his own words. He says, My mother's kiss made me a painter. You know, when you think about our responses, our words, our touches, our time, and how that adds love to a person's life, you can't get away from it. The word blessing there is actually an imperfect word. Imperfect verb, the meaning the idea that it's not finished. Now think about that. Why would God have used the, why would, would Mark have used the imperfect word blessing? That he blessed them. Why did he put, 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 it, put it in this, this sense that it was finished and done? He actually, it's the idea that it's imperfect, it's not finished, it's ongoing. We don't stop blessing our children. We bless them right out the door. We bless them on the job. We bless them as they're adults. We continue to give our blessings to our children. What's a spoken blessing? This is just my own concoction. Write this down if you want. It's a personal expression of affirmation specific to each child that speaks a positive future body, soul, and spirit. It's, it's not generic. It's specific. It's you looking in that child and finding that trait that needs to be praised and you praising them for it. Speaking into their life, praise and adoration so that their body, their soul, their spirit inside of them begins to react for a positive future. Number four, fourth way we can learn to love our children. We can learn to love our children by giving them a message of hope. This world is tough, it's dark, it's difficult. And we have a window of opportunity. Now you've got to realize I'm speaking this from a side of the fence that some of you are so far from, and yet some of you are even past. We're launching out of this world, our 18-year-old, this year. So this kind of comes a little close to home. 
Whenever you think about your 18 and you then right behind that a 17, 16, nearly to be a 17-year-old that will leave next year. This is very real that I, as I send my child into this big, bad, evil, nasty world, that I want them to have a message of hope. Not just in their head that, oh, you're good and that this world revolves around you and that you're a little God. No, not that at all. But I do want them to know who the real God is. I want them to be bowing their life to the real God. And that's one thing I want them to leave with. We want them to leave with. Now notice what Jesus said about children. He said this. And he was so indignant and he was so upset about what they were doing. He says, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. Don't stand in the way. Don't block them. Don't, don't, don't let Little League come in the way. Don't, don't, let, don't let business come in the way. Don't, don't, don't let the lake come in the way. Don't let any other thing come between me and the children. Don't let your hobbies, for to such as the, belongs the kingdom of God, Truly I say to you that whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So whenever we realize that our children need to understand and they're living in a window of opportunity here that we don't want to just skirt through, skip through, pass through because we're the adults and we get to choose the path. We need to make sure our children know and have a deep appreciation for who Jesus is and that they have an opportunity to know Him and walk with Him. Barna did a study in his publishing his book Transforming the Children into Spiritual Champions, and he said this that thirty two percent of children between the ages of five and eight and twelve receive Christ, and four percent between the ages of thirteen and eighteen, and six percent do it nineteen and older. There's a window of opportunity that we have with our children. We don't want to miss that. If they're going to receive Christ, many of them do it as a child. And it lays that foundation for the rest of their life. I have to believe that's why we as families must make spiritual formation a priority in our homes. And what we as a church want to do is just complement that. Come along beside that. That's why over a hundred volunteers step up to the plate this past week to make sure your child and my children have Christ formed in them. That's why even three families took it upon themselves to take on a vacation week from their job. To say, you know, listen, some go to Mali, some go to Zambia, some go to Haiti, but we're going to go to northwest Arkansas, and I'm going to take off of work, and I'm going to spend time with children pouring into them. That's a beautiful story of those who are getting the picture here. And you realize that every week, It takes 195 volunteers to continue to train up our children and 30 substitutes. We have right now 18 positions of blessings, what I'm going to call it today, okay? Where you could be giving blessings to children, one service out of of 18 positions. If you're interested in saying, Mike, I want to take this on as a part of my mission in life to give the blessing... To the children, spoken word, meaningful touch, the, the message of hope. I want to do that to other children. Because I want you to notice one thing about Jesus. None of these were his children. You know that, don't you? So it wasn't just that he was hugging on, loving on his kids. He was hugging on, loving on all the kids. And he was admonishing his disciples to do the exact same 
thing. If you're interested in saying, hey, I want to be a part of giving a message of hope, you take it out, that communication card in the seat pocket in front of you, fill it out, and you drop it in the offering basket, and we'll contact you. But I want us to land today on something, a realization, that children aren't just something that we bring and we, we cuddle and we coddle through life and we kind of raise them up and send them out. We have a tremendous responsibility as parents, as grandparents, as aunts and uncles, as just neighbors to the kids to make sure that these children have the right formation and foundation in their life. And so maybe today we just need to make declarations to God that we understand, as the, as the Bible says, that children are a gift from Him. And so my challenge to you today is just to, to declare with me that my children, that my child is a gift from God. The way we're going to do that is through an old-fashioned responsive reading that I've written out. And I want you to just kind of throw it up on the screen, guys. Uh, I want you to read the dark print with me. And just listen and let it be spoken over you. The light print. I'll read the light print. But let's read it all together, out loud, like we really mean it, like we really believe it. Let's read it together. My children are a gift from the Lord. Lord, we recognize our children to be a gift from you. We desire to honor you in the training and in the spiritual formation of our children. My children are a gift from the Lord. You tell us in your word that we are to train up our children in the way they should go. Give us wisdom to know your way. My children are a gift from the Lord. Don't allow us to be a hindrance to our children's faith and life. Think about the disciples and how they were being a hindrance to the children's faith. Keep us close to you and clean life's impurities. My children are a gift from the Lord. We release our children to you, Lord, for they are not ours. Call them to yourself, enable them to serve you, and use them for your glory. My children are a gift from the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we bow before you now. And Lord, I know for some, well, I I know in this room today there are so many different representations of families. Some that have children, some that don't have children, can't have children, haven't been able to have children. Lord, we also know that there are some who are just beginning and launching into parenting 101 with their very first child. And others are expecting their second or their third. Some are well into parenting. They're into the monotony of it. The rut, if you will, of parenting. Father, I would pray that you would revive in all of us the value, the responsibility, the place that we play in your kingdom's work for future generations. 
Because, Lord, we realize if we sit back and we reflect long enough and soberly enough that we are one generation removed from Christianity being extinct. Lord, I thank you for a church that gives, that serves in these positions week to week, through out a day camp week, giving of their vacations and their time and their energy. I thank you for the families that choose churches that say, this is going to add value to my children and the spiritual formation of my family. And I pray that we are a church through and through will complement the spiritual formation in our families. Lord, we pray now that you'll receive our offerings as a representation and a reflection of our commitment to our family and the furtherance of the work of your kingdom throughout this community and throughout the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.